Welcome, Malika Dut. Welcome to Radio Wolf. I'm very excited to have you here uh, to speak about your work. You have worked for decades to create new forms of social and cultural change and to create spaces for human rights and public dialogue. And you were literally inspiring millions to change their entrenched norms and attitudes that fuel discrimination in particular against women and girls. And you approach this work from a deeply humanist form of spirituality, focused on compassion, empathy, bridging connections. You found the Global Human Rights Organization Breakthrough, which aims to build a world in which violence against women and girls is unacceptable and all beings can thrive. And you move your work in the recent years into something that you called interconnected leadership. And I'm very curious about uh, interconnected leadership. Uh, what does this mean? Where are you going with Malika, great to have you. Welcome to Radio Wolf. Thank you, Thomas. It's wonderful to be talking with you again. And uh, um, it's uh, one of those uh, moments in the world right now, I think, where we're all asking questions about what are we doing? Where are we going? How are we doing, um, if you will? And that was really a part of my journey around the evolution from breakthrough to interconnected leadership. I had spent a lot of my time, many decades, focused on external change, focused on social change, focused on culture change, um, and really trying to understand the norms that led to violence and discrimination in the first place. And then using a wide variety of modalities like storytelling, the entertainment industry, multimedia campaigns, community-based organizing, advocacy, ecosystem approaches to bring multiple elements together to try and shift the, the world, if you will, around the issue of gender-based violence. And about, um, I don't know, five or six years ago, I began to feel that the focus on external change was missing a very critical component of the self, of internal change. Um, my realization around this came from a very unexpected place. I was studying energy medicine with um, an organization called the Four Winds uh, that draws from the Cairo shamanic traditions of the Andes. And in the course of studying energy medicine and learning about the ways in which the elements and the earth and a more holistic way of being connected to really the earth uh, can shape us, I started to explore other modalities. So my, my training with the four winds was uh, pretty game-changing for me because I'm a lawyer, I was very oriented around policy work, advocacy work, culture change work. I had never really paid the kind of attention that I needed to spirit, to heart, to soul, to the earth itself, to the, to the life force that is this incredible planet on which we live. And so in opening those doors, I, I found myself traveling to the Amazon um, and going into the jungle with Shipibo shamans and doing an ayahuasca journey for a week. 
It was something that was completely outside my realm of uh, knowledge and understanding. And drinking the tea, drinking the tea and being in relationship with grandmother as she is called um, in the medicine world was one of those uh, watershed moments in my life where it really, it really was um, kind of like one of those big turning points. And, and one of the major insights that I received from grandmother was how so much of the work that I was doing in the world to change the paradigm was actually reproducing the same paradigm. That I was engaging with trying to shift behavior and attitudes from the same consciousness that was creating those attitudes and that behavior. And that I was sort of almost in this um, lockstep dance with patriarchy, if you will, with uh, systems of supremacy and domination. And that even though my work was trying to change that, my own consciousness and attitudes were still grounded in that same energy, in that same set of energetics. As you might imagine, for somebody who has dedicated her life to being a social justice advocate, um, that moment of insight in the jungle was shattering. It was devastating. It was one of those, um, you know, uh, where everything that you have believed about yourself and your work and the world, like just shattered. In that shattering, in that opening that happened, I literally felt the entire jungle enter my heart. Like it was this sense of every tree, every insect, every bird, every animal, every plant, every being that was a part of this um, incredible, beautiful forest started to kind of move into my heart. Um, so I came out of that experience quite shaken. I didn't really know what to make of it, what to do with it. What I did know was that something had fundamentally changed, that something had fundamentally shifted for me. The most fundamental shift that happened to me was my relationship to the earth, was my relationship with the planet, of beginning to understand that this earth on which we all stand is this pulsating life force energy of which I am a part as opposed to the orientation that we usually live in this world with as if we are the center, right? Like that I am the center and then I do things in the world. Like there was a way in which that whole relationship shifted. And that was the ground from which then this idea of interconnected leadership started to emerge for me, mm. where the self, community, systems, and the earth need to be integrated, need to be interconnected. And that place of integration is where, as leaders, 
I think we need to start showing up from. Thank you for that. When you were saying what you were saying, there were a couple of things that stood out. When you're describing your time as an activist and your whole, your whole decades working as an activist and realizing that the attitude that you come from was part of what the problem was that you were engaging with. And when you were describing your experience with ayahuasca in the jungle in South America, uh, that the whole jungle was penetrating your heart and how this uh, opened up something that led you to what you call interconnected leadership. It's quite obvious that this interconnected leadership is something different than one might think in the first glance. There's something um, more to be questioned in, in, in the question, who, who am I as a human being working for justice? Can you say more what got shattered there and what opened up? You know, um, as women, and I mean, certainly for me as an Indian woman who grew up in a, in a Hindu joint family in Calcutta, um, f for many of us, the way in which we have succeeded or made our voices heard um, in the world has been to use the very tools and the very ways of patriarchy. So we have to be really smart. We have to really know how to use our minds. We need to learn words. We need to learn analysis, concepts. That's what led me to law school, right? Like um, in order to succeed and where value is placed, you have to show up with all of the smarts and the degrees and the uh, certifications to prove that you have the right to be at the table. You may be challenging the table. You may be talking about things that they don't want to be talking about. But in order to even be present at the table, you have to have a certain set of credentials. In the process of getting those credentials of being mind-oriented, being rational-oriented, being analytically oriented, you start to divorce yourself from your body, from intuition, from emotion, from the earth. Like there's a very particular way in which our current paradigm pushes us to uh, think and act and be in this world. And so even though that's what you're trying to dismantle, those are the very tools at least that I started to incorporate and own, right? So if I sat down at a table, I'm a very small brown woman. I'm five feet tall. My presence at the table had to meet energetically most of the time powerful white men that I was trying to either raise resources from or change the agenda with, you know, whether it was the Clinton Global Initiative or whether it was the World Economic Forum or, you know, the kinds of spaces where power, as we understood it, was located and focused, right? No, so not just white men. I mean, you know, certainly in the context of India, 
it was Indian men. But you had to meet that energy with the same, if not more, of that quality of energy to even have a seat at the table. And over time, when you're doing this to uh, speak your piece or speak on behalf of women or to challenge racism or to challenge sexism or to try and change violence, you're dealing with sort of really painful, um, I mean, the level of pain that we inflict on one another as humans is pretty astronomical, right? So when you're doing social justice work, you are constantly in the pain body, like that is your whole orientation. So when you combine this sort of analytical, mental mind approach with the pain that you're constantly engaging with, I dissociated. So I, I separated even more from my body, right? Like, so you're reproducing the trauma in yourself, but the only way in which you can cope with it is to keep disconnecting. And then we have these workplaces where even if you're not making millions of dollars, what's rewarded is this frenetic pace of work. So I worked like a crazy woman. I was a workaholic, right? And then before you know it, you're in the system, the nonprofit industrial complex, um, and you're successful, right? You're getting all these awards. I received the Skull Social Entrepreneurship Award and you know, a gazillion other awards. I'm invite, you're being invited to all of these different fora. You're getting your voice heard. Your campaigns are reaching millions of people. And then you're in that energetic. You're in that energetic of performance, of reward through performance because you're really smart. And what's happening is that you're reproducing the same system that's creating the violence and discrimination in the first place that is an extractive system that is destroying the earth, that is a separation from body and embodiment, that is a separation from intuition, that is a separation, that is separation, that is rupture. You know, everything is about separation. Um, so when I was in the jungle, sometimes you need another intelligence to literally penetrate your being, to show you a different way. You know, you can be so locked into a certain way of being. I mean, I had a meditation practice. I had an energy medicine practice. I mean, I was doing, I had did my yoga teacher training certification. So I was exploring other modalities, but there was something about the intelligence of grandmother that allowed a seeing that was an embodied seeing. It wasn't just you know, another mental exercise. It was like a full-on, integrated, whole-body um, experience. And once I had that imprint, it allowed me to see a different possibility. It allowed me to believe in a different possibility because it was like, oh, my God, this is what we keep talking about, but I actually had no idea how to make that happen. I didn't have any blueprint for it I didn't know I didn't have any maps even in my body for that thing you have the longing for something but you have no way to actually find your way to it and so in coming to this idea of interconnected leadership it was like first realizing there's a self there's this 
whole being self that has mind, body, spirit, heart, you know, this heartbeat that is millions and millions of cells. There's a breathing relationship with trees. There's an inhalation and an exhalation that's not just my own, but that's in relationship with everything around me, right? And when you suddenly find yourself experiencing yourself in that way, you see everything around you differently, right? You see other humans differently. You see other, you see trees differently. I mean, one of the things that happened after my time in the Amazon is that I have deep friendships with trees who have been some of my biggest teachers. I would never even have been able to say something like that because in my social justice performative world, if you talk like that, people looked at you like you were completely crazy, right? So it's, it, I, I went into a little bit of detail about the way things were because I feel like lots of people, when you start speaking to the specificities of these things, start recognizing themselves in that reproduction of those kinds of patterns of being in the world, you know, where like always the, the performative nature um, as opposed to the performative nature of how we are with each other as opposed to being authentic, but having done enough healing work, enough transformation work to be able to get to a place of authenticity, to be able to trust yourself even, to be able to do that in a world which is violent and is discriminatory and can hurt you, and in a world that is also beautiful and connected and life-giving, right? It's, it's, it's kind of expanding out into this larger way of being where then you understand that everything is interconnected. Everything. Maybe what you just said last is everything is connected. I would like to go further because you said also there was a different possibility that opened up. And also you're not just talking about interconnectedness, you're talking about interconnected leadership. And I suppose this leadership uh, is leadership in this world. And everything that you described uh, was about the non-profit industry, uh, uh, the world at large, in some way has not changed. The power games as they are have not changed. And leadership has to be leadership also in this dimension of reality. So what are the different possibilities that opened up for you in being exposed to this depth of interconnectedness that uh, you were able to say, uh, see a tree as a friend? And that's quite a remarkable sta statement. And I'm sure many people can relate to it, but many people also not. And, uh, 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 and to be called a tree hugger is not necessar necessarily a compliment. In, in, the, in, in these days and for an accomplished lawyer that's maybe uh, even more so kind of a strange comment uh, so how does this connect and how does this open up a different possibility so let me share a little bit of what I've been actually doing these last couple of years so um, I now have a business I'm not running a nonprofit. I have a business I have a consulting practice where I work with different organizations individuals and groups um, around some of these issues so for the last year and a half since the pandemic I have been working with about 
almost 200 social justice leaders who are in the global south, primarily women-identified leaders. Now, as you might imagine, it's already challenging to be doing this work on the front lines and at the grassroots. I mean, it's, it's work that is challenging at the personal level. There's increasing authoritarianism. There's more and more government repression. There's challenges around resources. Climate change is having a whole impact on the work that everybody is doing. There's the constituencies that you're working with. And now we have the pandemic as an additional layer of complicated circumstances, right, for all of these leaders, for everyone doing anything. But I mean, for me, you know, folks on the front lines on the ground of change are really um, experiencing the challenges of this world in sort of really deep and profound ways. Now, in being, um, so in, in creating a leadership program for this community, when I draw from an interconnected place, when I think about self, community, systems, and the earth, um, and what it is that I need to draw on to, to, to support them in that, in that place, what I have discovered is that the building blocks of interconnected leadership are presence. The biggest gift that you can give yourself and anybody else is presence. The... the experience of being seen and heard and witnessed by another human in whatever it is that is going on in your life um, is quite profound. It's, it's a really, um, it's, it's very powerful. And it, it sounds a little crazy because it's such a simple thing, right? To just be present, to actually just keep quiet and be present with somebody else should be the easiest thing for us to do. But actually, our ability to be present with each other is shit. It's like we have so little capacity because we've been trained to not listen. We've been trained to try to fix or give advice or think that somehow we're going to find solutions. I mean, there's like a whole way in which we orient to each other and there's a time for advice and there's a time for solution-oriented, but a lot of the time, presence, sheer presence, allows for such deep healing that that's one of the things that I've not only been practicing with people I've been working with, but also teaching presence, right? Teaching presence and self-awareness. That leads to, for me, a second building block of interconnected leadership. And these are like, you know, like the 101s, like the baby steps, is what is your relationship to fear? You know, as, as living organisms, our whole organism is oriented towards life. How do we live? How do we live? How do we live in the world? And we're in a shitstorm right now of things that are making us even more fearful what is your relationship to fear? Is it a fight response? Do you get more aggressive? Do you get more confrontational? Uh, do you want to take charge? Do you want to be in a power over situation with everybody when you're triggered in that way? Or is your tendency to freeze? Do you dissociate? Do you disconnect? Do you check out? Or do you run away? 
you know is your is it a flight response and flight responses can be addictions they can be um all manner of things that one wouldn't be necessarily thinking about in one's leadership and so i'm finding that helping leaders come into relationship with their fear patterns notice them become aware of them and then learn how to make a choice around them right sometimes your fear pattern is exactly what you need to be doing in that situation many times your fear patterns are long term reels that are just going on and on and on in your head that you need to learn how to interrupt so you can show up from a place of responsiveness rather than being reactive to whatever's going on right so these are like some of the examples of how i am bringing these modules these baby steps of what does it mean to be an interconnected leader how do you listen how do you use improv i love improv so improvisation is this whole way in which you know you go into a scene with somebody where you build on each other you don't cut each other you don't um disagree with each other you yes and you know that's like that's what it's called learning from a place of yes anding like suddenly allows a whole bunch of different possibilities to emerge another part of this for me is intersectionality how do you understand power what is your place in the world as a white man as an indian woman with the multiplicity of identities that we are bringing to the table how can we become self aware of those aspects of ourselves our cultural identities so that when we're engaging with other people we can be aware of ourselves and also more open to other possibilities right mm-hmm. so um i'm actually in the process of creating uh, an online curriculum that i want to i would i hope to start teaching in a couple of months which are for me the building blocks of interconnected leadership before we can even get to understanding structures and systems it's like how do we create some basic tools so that when we are with one another whether we are leaders whether we're team members whether we're colleagues whatever it is that we're doing we actually have some shared tools to show up and be present in a way that none of us have been taught how to be and you and you say showing up and when you uh, talk about presence i hear two different things one is just uh, this this other simplicity of presence that can be quite frightening because it it leaves you when you take it seriously it just leaves you empty handed and uh, you have a uh, talking very powerful way how this is the key as i understand you but you were also talking about uh, our roles in power for example being an indian woman being a white man that n- needs an understanding of, of systems because all these these power relationships they, they they are connected in inter interrelated systems so there's something where um one has to do two things at the same time as i'm hearing be just in a way utterly not knowing present open but also be very aware for example for myself in this conversation i am a white man and a white man has a certain role has certain privileges has a certain history has a certain karma and so on that's part of uh, who i am uh, just because i'm a white man so th- it needs a lot of complexity in that also just to be present 
Absolutely, and that's so well said, Thomas. I think that um, part of the problem that people often have with getting to um, understanding their cultural identities is because it's triggering, right? Like, it, it, it immediately gets us into this, oh my God, but I, I'm not like that, or... Um, I may be a white man, but I am from a working class background, or I may be an Indian woman, but I grew up with a lot of privilege. Um, like there's all there's all kinds of complexity even in our identity. So even as we're trying to come to understanding our cultural identities, our minds are we're, you know we're always in sort of these relationships with the stuff where it's like, but 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 I mean but but what about the, but what about that right? Um, if we can find a way to practice presence and self-awareness from like the babyest of steps of just even understanding sensation, well, I would even start with understanding that we have a body. The body has sensations. We have emotions. We have thoughts. There is a difference between sensations, emotions, and thoughts. All of those connect to actions, right? Like it's even like slowing it down enough to be in the baby steps of presence. That then allows us to get to these conversations and self-awareness around cultural identity and possessionality in ways that I hope can be more generative, can be more about uh, creating accountability for what we are co-creating together from a place of belonging. We are trying to create cultures of belonging and what often happens when we get to these conversations about equity and structures is that we start to fragment, we start to rupture. In part because I think we don't have these shared skills of presence and listening. So building out those fundamental blocks, as I said, of interconnected leadership for me I hope enables then a different conversation, a different uh, leadership, if you will, to start emerging and how we are able to be together and create together. But as I understand you, your interconnected leadership, of course, has all these ways how we are connected uh, as humans in our societies and our social roles just human to human, but um, also connecting it back to your experience in the South American jungle, uh, there, there are other connections that uh, we usually uh, don't honor. I mean, our relationship to, to trees are either uh, instrumental relationship in terms of the trees is something that produces wood or that it's something creational where we can have uh, a, 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 a nice weekend uh, exposure, uh, which is nice. But to, to have real relationship with nature uh, is something that sounds uh, uh, strange. Um, and isn't it also that you're pushing that our, our relationships are more than our human relationships, if you really are? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I do when I am leading a session or a workshop or a ritual or a ceremony is um, 
and one of the things that I've learned in my energy medicine practice that comes from the Kero shamanic tradition is to open sacred space. And so whenever I am creating a circle of, of any sort, I always welcome in the elements. I always welcome in the directions. And then I also always welcome in the earth. And, you know, in the way in which we uh, call in the power of the earth and the blessings of the earth, we always refer to the furred, the finned, the feathered, the two-legged, the four-legged, the hundred-legged, the ones that crawl, the ones that burrow, the ones that go deep, the ones that fly, right? Um, we call in the waters, we call in the mountains, we call in the rivers, we call in the oceans, and we thank, we thank the earth for all of its abundance, for all of the ways in which it feeds us, nurtures us, houses us, clothes us. Everything that we have as humans comes to us from the earth. And so there's a, what I find is, um, when you create practices that start to name these things, it brings people's presence to that. It brings people's awareness to that. And then often I will find people writing to me um, and telling me about an experience they had. You know, one of the things, one of the biggest shifts that's happened in my life, and I'll share this with you because I find it so extraordinary, is that for decades, People would always send me articles about violence or justice or human rights, right? So I either received articles, talks, speeches, or people were calling me with requests for help. We need a lawyer. We need a doctor. We need a hospital. We need a shelter. We need, I mean, like this was my life, right? I stopped going to parties because everywhere I went, the only thing people would talk to me about would be violence and discrimination. I mean, it just became really untenable for me. Today, people still reach out to me for, for support and resources, but what I get most is pictures of trees. I get images of trees from all over the world, and people will say, I was walking past this tree and it said to say hello to you. Or, you know, I met this tree and I had this most amazing conversation and I thought of you. Two people out of the blue have just sent me these beautiful books on trees. One of them was a woman that I met on a plane. That's the only time I've ever met her. I can't even remember where we were flying from. We're Facebook friends. We've never spoken to each other again. But this gorgeous book on trees. And I share this with you because, one, for me, um, it is so much more nourishing to be getting pictures of trees than to be receiving articles, articles, and articles on violence and discrimination. But the more important thing is how you see the impact of your own presence and words on people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, people aren't just thinking about the trees because of me. It may be that I was the spark, but in that moment of their interaction with the tree or saying the tree said hello they are having a relationship with the tree. 
it may be that my something I said sparked it, but they're having that relationship. Um, and that's fundamentally changing the way in which they're looking at things around them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's another, you know, there's the whole um, calling in of spirit animals, right? So, and that's the other thing that I find is that when people really sit and think about an animal or some kind of a, a bird or whatever it is that has resonance in their life and they start to create a relationship with it, it starts to open their doors to, oh my God, I am thinking about this being in a completely different way. Right. And right now, all of these different pathways to creating these different kinds of relationships with this this world around us, I mean, we are surrounded by life, like the abundant life creating itself over and over and over again like it's just it's quite extraordinary if you think about it if you just like stop to think about it it is so magical and because we've been so in our heads and so in our rational brains we kind of forget just the sheer beauty of of what is around us and what is in us and our relationship to it so I'll say one more thing and I'll close this thought. Like when I do meditations, when I lead meditations, I weave in when we are talking about breath, our inhale and exhale is the inhale and the exhale of trees. And what is that? What does that mean, right? Like I invite people to go and hold trees and hug trees and actually feel the way in which they start to get grounded. It's, a, that's, it's an extraordinary experience because when you meet the trunk of the tree with the trunk of your body, you can literally feel your energy moving down into the roots, down into deep, deep, deep into the earth. And you can feel yourself getting grounded. And it, like it takes minutes. It's one of the best grounding exercises humans could possibly do. And then from there, you know, you hope, I hope, that we can start shifting the way we live on this planet. You started this conversation by saying about your own history that uh, you were missing in the decades of your work. Uh, you were working for social, uh, social justice, uh, um, somehow in a dimension. Of, of, of this. I'm, I'm sure you, you, you didn't mean that there was no inner dimension, but as you're talking about our relationship to trees and to life itself, uh, I think it becomes more open and, uh, and clear of where you're going here, because there's, there's something in our relationship to, let's stay with trees, uh, where we usually, um, we, we have a relationship to trees, but I usually the, you could call them instrumental or commodified. And uh, just to be aware that we have this kind of strange relationship, if you can call this a relationship, but the kind of relationship it is. Uh, and there's something cold and cut off to be not able to connect to a tree different than uh, as a commodity or something that I have an instrumental relationship to. And you also brought in the word gratitude and that also says a lot. If I can have gratitude uh, uh, to nature, uh, to earth, uh, to plants, uh, that's a level of interiority that um, for many of us is difficult to, to, re to really go there. 
but maybe that's where a real relationship to life starts to be able to have gratitude towards life and maybe that's uh, also where you were going when and you were saying uh, uh, we are part of the problem because if we if we don't relate in this way uh, or we if we go on in this kind of strange way of only having instrumental relationship even if we are good willing there's something wrong about our relationship to all of this I mean, Thomas, no shit. We are destroying our home. I mean, isn't there something wrong about our relationship to all of this? I mean, we're the only species that is obsessed with death, with, with destroying the very life systems that give us life. Um, I mean, how much more cut off could we possibly be? I mean, it's pretty astounding that with all of our creativity and intelligence and consciousness and uh, knowledge and everything that we have that we could be at this moment in historical time in 2022 really looking at our role in not just the sixth great extinction in terms of the species but our own extinction possibly I mean who knows um, and you know there's there's many approaches then to try and address this from there's a climate crisis there's climate change there's carbon there's you know corporations there's governments there's all of these things that we need to be doing there's technological solutions like there's all of this and it's really important for us to be doing whatever that it is that we can and i think that the wisdom that indigenous communities around the world have carried for us for centuries, which is this completely different way of being in relationship with the earth and with each other and with all beings, that is the place of the most profound wisdom. And I think that I have come to believe that that mindset, that shift, that orientation around reciprocity, around uh, interconnectedness, around your breath and my breath and the breath of trees are integral to our collective survival, but beyond our collective survival, our collective well-being, that that's, that's the kind of leadership shift that I feel committed to supporting through interconnected leadership. It's, it's that notion of what in Quechua, what in the Kero tradition is called Aini, A-Y-N-I, which is the principle of reciprocity, which is the knowing that every action of ours um, is connected to the actions of all others and that every blade of grass and every tree and every bee and every bird and you know everything that we eat and drink and inhale I mean we're just like this interconnected web of life um, in the Hindu cosmology you know there's this reference to something called Indra's net which is like the web of creation right and at every intersection of the web are these jewels and each one of us and not just humans but each form of life each creation is a jewel at this intersection in this web of life and what I love about it 
um, so much is that every one of us might be an individual jewel, but in each one of us is reflected every single other jewel in the web, right? So we're fractals of one another and um, really just this interconnected web of life. And so I'm, uh, I'm in a place in my own life and in my own leadership where given the enormous shifts and changes, changes that we are in, I've come to understand that really we don't know anything anymore. We're, not, we're in a place of not knowing. And so what I ask myself is what is the next most elegant step that I can take right now? And for me, the next most elegant step is hugging my tree friends and supporting interconnected leadership in all of the ways that I can. Anika, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Thomas. It was great talking to you as always.